There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Ah, good morning, Toronto. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle in the studio, your co-host and most importantly, producer of the show, lining up the guests. And Jack did a great job, I will say, this week, lining up some wonderful guests. Uh, we got Ross Healy on the line, a, well, a veteran and good friend of mine who I met in the green room of the television studios over the last 15 years. Ross is a strategist and uh, he helps the do-it-yourselfers. So if you're a do-it-yourselfer, it never hurts to get a little bit of advice. Ross Healy is that man. Uh, we're then going to uh, move on to a lady named Kat Williams. Uh, she is a blogger, and uh, she blogs so much, about uh, 10,000 followers on her Instagram account, and so she knows how to blog. Myself, I have about three followers, and one of them is my wife. Uh, and we're going to end it off with a professor from Western, Amos Nodler. Uh, he is a professor in behavioral finance. Uh, this is very, very important stuff because, sure, supply and demand drives the market, but more importantly, it is run by people, and we are emotional, and our emotions can get in the way of us making money, and we don't want to have that happen. We want you to make more money, so let's get our emotions under control. A little behavioral finance. I know it's early in the morning. Get some coffee, and uh, let's get set to have a great show. Uh, Ross Healy, thank you for staying on the line, and I want to wish you a good morning. Well, good morning to you, too, Wolf. Yeah, so, so Ross, you're an MBA, you're a CFA, and, well, you have your uh, business, uh, Strategic Partners, is it called? A strategic Analysis Corporation. Mm-hmm. So um, briefly, so you help do it yourself. So tell us briefly about your company, uh, what, what service you offer the do-it-yourself investor. Okay. Uh, we essentially provide a service uh, uh, which covers about 4,000 of the principal companies in North America. Um, uh, we, it's, it's a combination uh, service that uh, combines fundamentals, uh, balance sheet fundamentals with, uh, with, with technical as, as well. Um, and uh, over the years, uh, Wolf, uh, we've had a very good record of, uh, first of all, directing people to where value is, but uh, in many cases, and particularly maybe now, uh, in directing people to where value is not. So uh, just, just prior to you and I did a, did a little pre-show interview. I'm sorry I dragged you out of bed so early for that pre-show interview, but it's important <laughs> to make sure that Jack and I ask you the correct questions. So uh, I take it you are a value investor. You know, Warren Buffett uh, is a value investor. Peter Lynch, I guess, is a value investor. So I, you want you. Mm, sorry? I'm a definitely a value investor. That, yeah. So we don't need to belabor that point then. So no. you want to buy assets and companies below intrinsic value. And then we chatted about a stock that Jack and I own uh, that is taking over the world. Uh, I fear it every now and then. The company is called, Jack? Amazon. Oh, you got it right. Good man. Nailed it. It's tough to get Jack in the morning sometimes, so wakey-wakey for Jack. Yes, Amazon indeed. So, uh, Ross, what do you think of Amazon's valuation here? Well, uh, listen, Wolf. The, uh, the company is trading at about uh, 20 times its book value and uh, <clears throat> something close to 
a price earnings ratio of about uh, 300. So I it, was 250. it does not exactly come under the heading of, uh, of, of a high value stock. Certainly. Um, further, furthermore, I, um, I, I've been, I've been, I've been watching what uh, the, the company has been doing, particularly in the, in the last quarter, uh, as far as their earnings are concerned. And uh, I noticed a really interesting pattern, which is to say that at the beginning of the year, the company was forecasting, analysts were forecasting the company would make a dollar fifty. Then in the previous quarter, they dropped the number to a dollar, and then a month later, they dropped it to three cents. The company came in with earnings of fifty-three cents, so they really beat the consensus earnings forecast to three, and of course, the, the stock went nuts. But the question, Wolf, is what did the company beat? Uh, if you did they beat the current earnings or did they beat the earnings at the from the beginning of the year which they missed therefore by 66% or the revised earnings in the second quarter which they missed by 50% which probably would have driven the stock down a lot so there is i'm i'm not going to describe this as uh, manipulation but i i i i think influencing uh, analysts to uh, to to change their forecasts to um, to very favorable numbers, so the comparabilities come in um, is a bit on the slippery slope. It kind of reminds me of what happened uh, in the high tech boom in uh, in 2000. Now. I have to immediately tell you, by the way, that Amazon is far from the only company that does this. Um, I would observe, looking at, um, at at the numbers that we see, that the vast majority of companies beat their earnings forecasts. Yeah, about 70% of them do. About 70% of them, but a huge percentage of those are due to the fact that there are analyst revisions under the numbers that are coming out. So when they come out, they're favorable. Hmm, interesting. All right, Ross, uh, early in the morning here, my good friend, top up your coffee, wakey, wakey. We're going to pay some bills and we're going to come right back with Ross Healy right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, AM640 in Toronto. Little Jeff Healy, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. That was a George Harrison song. I, I never realized how cool George Harrison was. Watched a documentary on him on Netflix, and uh, that's his track. I saw another great version of him by Eric Clapton at uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Too cool. Jeff Healy, of course, doing that version. And on the line is Ross Healy, not necessarily a guitar player. Hello, are you a musician, Ross? Uh, a trumpeter. Uh, do you, you play the trumpet, do you? I do play the trumpet. Yes, I I struggle to uh, to play the guitar, but uh, I'm I'm afraid that uh, Jeff has uh, has uh, that that's one Healy that's got me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guarantee you know more about the stock market than they do, and that's why we got you on the line here. Uh, you, you are a very unique uh, individual. I remember when I spoke with you about 15 years ago, and I, and I really got into your work a little bit, Ross. You had a different way of viewing 
viewing the market uh, in terms of the long historical valuations for the market? You said basically it's just trading at a, another standard deviation in terms of valuation relative to its long-term mean. And you said we're probably in a new paradigm with it trading at such valuations. And did you recall the, the, the conversation that, that you had about 12 years ago on that front there, Ross? Uh, yes, uh, I think about uh, 12 years ago. Um, about that time, I think that the, that the bust of 2000, 2002 is over. Correct. And, and we, were, uh, we were pretty bullish, and we stayed uh, actually uh, uh, bullish all the way through till uh, mid-2008. Um, at that point then, the, uh, the market uh, actually gave us a, a, a superb technical signal. And, uh, a sell signal. A sell signal, yes, and we got our clients out, and uh, indeed we got them short. Ooh, the market. Well, you know, Beta Pro uh, has some uh, has some beautiful uh, instruments. Uh, but uh, but often misused, my friend. I got I got to jump in on that one. Oh yes, no, no. Listen, I know they're often misused, but if you have good timing with them, uh, their their short instruments are just beautiful for playing the market. Without question. So, so Jack and I, uh, as a matter of fact, this morning, and we're going to talk our book here, but hey, uh, someone has to. Uh, went and bought some European financials. Uh, I spoke to our strategist Martin Roberge in Montreal this morning. He said, "Hey, Wolfgang, uh, the European Commission come out with some the fact, and they're going to uh, loosen up the Basel III uh, restrictions, and that's good for the." The, the European banks. And I said, I agree with you, Martin. Uh, so Basel III lightening up the restrictions on European banks. We went and bought some Deutsche Bank and just some of the European Banking Index, which is the EUFN, uh, trades in New York. Uh, spoke to you on the phone. You like the bank. So what do you think of our European trade? You, you want to jump on our trade with us? Um, I, I don't think I need to go to Europe because uh, more or less the same thing is happening in the United States, in particular, where... Um, uh, after nearly ten years uh, following the you know from from informing the the, the the mortgage collapse um, the uh, the regulators down there are taking some of the handcuffs off the banks and uh, allowing them to be banks again so I think that that is actually pretty uh, pretty pretty optimistic pretty bullish for u s banks and uh, uh, i would I would rather be investing in something that I can watch very closely in which I understand, rather than uh, having to go to Europe. Yeah, it, it always is tricky going across the pond. Look, the thinking that we had there, of course, is the Canadian banks are trading over two times bucks. So the Canadian banks, Jack doesn't believe that they're cheap, do you, Jack? Canadian uh, banks? Yeah, the Canadian banks are definitely expensive, and uh, they don't have a whole lot of tailwinds coming at them just with the, you know, the expensive uh, housing market. Uh, we've got... Yeah, mortgage We've restrictions got, coming at yeah, us. Yeah, consumers that are well indebted. So, yeah, a lot of headwinds facing Canadian banks and their rich valuations, right. for sure. But then we go into the U.S. banks, and the U.S. banks have not been quiet. They've been pretty good. We've been long Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan. And, you know, the Trump rally certainly helped the, the, the U.S. banks. They paused. Then you got a bit of yield curve flattening. Apparently, that's good for the banks as it's steepening it. They, they get it both ways in, the, in terms of that yield curve talk. More, more but, lending with so, a flattening So our thinking curve. here, Ross, is, and please uh, su- support or challenge our theses, the European banks have lagged. This Basel III notion of, of, of less onerous restrictions on, on, on capital requirements could give the European banks a leg up. And again, in terms of valuation, you're a value guy. You, the European market trades at two turns, or it's at a P-E ratio of around 14 or 15 versus 17 or 19 for the U.S. market. It's cheaper, in other words. Yep. 
I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with uh, with you there. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't track the uh, the European market closely, and um, I, I. I frankly have an aversion to um, to uh, listening to interesting stories like that, and that 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 is a good story. But uh, unless I can actually see the values myself, yeah. I understand. Well, as I say, one thing that we saw today was that they take off these regulations, like you're talking about, Wolf, and immediately the Deutsche Bank popped. It was up about two and a half percent. So. Yeah, big Valuation is the market's uh, recognizing and reflecting the fact that these banks have less restrictions, regulations, and that's good for business. So, Ross, we got about 45 seconds here. You want to talk about home capital? You want to talk about Bitcoin? Um, I, listen, let's, let's take a quick shot at Bitcoin. I'm not going to say the usual thing that I think it's up there uh, on, a, uh, on a highly speculative spike. Uh, I am, however, going to say that... Um, uh, I was listening to a presentation at Bitcoin, and the guy who was making the presentation inadvertently told me something that I thought was really interesting. That is to say, he had been sending Bitcoins to his son uh, for some while and uh, to, to support himself in, in college, and, and, uh, and his son came home. And, uh, he, and his dad said, so how are you doing? And he said, well, he'd saved all those Bitcoins, and uh, they were, they were the, his, his 200 bucks a month had accumulated to $32,000. And, and by the way, that was a couple of months ago, so Ooh, probably much higher than that. Could be 100 grand. Now, now, here's the thing. The kid hadn't been spending any of the money. He'd been borrowing against it because his Bitcoins were going up and up and up. And I wonder the extent, Wolf, to oh, which people are doing the same, the same thing. thing. Oh, that's a good point. And if you ever start to get a major slide there, uh, are we going to get uh, a kind of a cascade wow. as people who are saying, God, I've been making money. I got so much money. You know, when should I cash in? Levered uh, it up. It starts to slide and suddenly wham. And it's, and, and it's very, very difficult to get out of that trade. It's hard to buy, yeah. hard to sell Bitcoins. Ross, that's very cool. Look, I appreciate you joining us this morning on Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You're an absolute pleasure to have on the show. We're going to have to get you back. Coming up next, we're going to move on to talk with a wonderful millennial blogger and uh, entrepreneur, shall I say, uh, who also handles the, uh, the, the, the web portal for ET. ET Canada. Cat Williams is in the studios right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We are the and we're coming to town. Scatty Monsters. David Bowie, 1980. Yes, indeed. A man who shall be missed, but his music will live on. Uh, we got Kat Williams in the studio. Cat uh, is a very, very dynamic young lady uh, who does two things. One, she works for ET Canada, uh, taking care of digital production. She's on the web team there. That's, of course, part of the global network. And uh, she's also a fashion and lifestyle blogger. And this actually what really caught my attention because for such a young lady, she has almost 10,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, I don't totally get Instagram. <clears throat> that said, I just bought the Snap stock with Jack. My kids are all over Instagram and they let daddy you don't know what you daddy you're so uncool why do you just put that away daddy stick with Facebook okay well I'm trying to be cool and to get on the Instagram thing and well you know how to do it um Kat, and that's very, very impressive. You know, Jack and I and, and Kathleen who helps us with our marketing and Sam of course is in the studio as well. 
Samantha Kim, your friend who uh, brought you into the studio today. But, uh, you know, we're, we're into, you know, trying to promote our business with social media. And it is difficult uh, to get followers. And I, you know, I, I use traditional media. And every now and then I throw out my handles, whatever they may be. And I hope to get a follower or two. And they come very, very slowly. So how did you manage to generate 9,400 or just under 10,000 Instagram followers? It's a process. I mean, you have to build yourself. You have to have a voice. I think that's the most important. Something. What, what, so what, what, what do you mean yourself. by that? Yeah. What do you mean by a voice? A voice in terms of a certain genre or style. Like for me, people come to me because they know I like fashion. They know that I travel a lot, so they kind of know what to expect. And there's a certain style in the way my photos are taken, the way I edit them, the composition, and my captions. And consistency is key. So I post usually once a day or every other day just to keep people kind of interested in coming back. So you have to do it consistently. Uh, you have to have a unique style. Um, what other element do you find uh, helps to it to make it more successful? Making connections really helps. Like blogger collaborations, that's really, really big. A lot of people, you think, yes, it's very competitive. And when it comes to sponsorships, people are kind of fighting to make money in Instagram and the industry. But the biggest thing is blogger collaborations and just helping each other and promoting each other. And that, that's something that I found really, really helps. Blogger collaborations. So, yes. So, so getting the first thousand followers, I would imagine, would be the most difficult thing that you actually have to do. It's like making your first million bucks, Jack. Sure. Does it grow exponentially from there, though? Do yes. You see? Like it, it starts with your friends. It starts with your family and friends, getting that word out. And they'll, they'll, they're the ones who want to support you, essentially, right? And then after that, you want to build yourself and start locally so i started within toronto and then i build myself and i have connections in new york i have blogger friends in la who i've never met in person but we talk online we support each other comment like each other's things so it's just important starting locally and then kind of building yourself up now you you um uh, display fashion um so who's taking pictures of you <laughs> Um, you could say I have a blogger boyfriend, the Insta boyfriend, that is. The, the what boyfriend? The Insta boyfriend. Insta boyfriend. Mm. Jack. And, and, he, and he follows Help you around or, 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 or is, he, what is, is he a stalker? Or no, he is. <laughs> oh, no, poor guy. No, he's actual boyfriend, but I've kind of curated him into my Insta boyfriend. So he helps me on the weekends, take my photos. And I mean, it starts you know, with your friend group, right? And asking your friend to help you out because it is hard um, to get, you know, actual photographers, especially when you're starting out and you don't want to pay for it. And so Insta boyfriend, a lot of bloggers, their boyfriends are actually professional photographers. Now, are, are you getting paid at all? Are you making any money by doing your uh, Instagram thing? I am. I mean, I'm still in the beginning stages and I'm still growing. Sure. So when I first started out, it was a lot of product for post. So I was getting, you know, things like different clothes I wanted, makeup, that kind of stuff. And now I'm really trying to push for actual paid content, paid sponsorship. So I was say, you, you're at 10,000, like you said. So what is critical mass? You've got a lot of friends that are out there blogging. What, what number do you see that, you know, once you get to, then you can really get big sponsorship and attract a lot of attention? I think 50, 100,000. That's when you can actually start, you know, actually maybe leave your full-time job and maybe pursue this as a career. If you had 100,000 followers on Instagram, how much money do you think you make? Um, you could probably make maybe a couple thousand per Instagram post. Per post? So, per post, and, and, even like $1,000 one post. And, and who would pay you for that post? Sponsors? The 
PR companies, the actual brands would pay you. And how, how would they find you? Just by, by following you and then- Find con- you on Instagram. And then contact you and yes. say, can you post for us? Yes. So, that, and, that, we'll, and we'll give you the jacket and then your Insta boyfriend's going to take the picture. Exactly. And, uh, unbelievable. Because I see Yorkdale is one of, are they a, sp- a client of yours now? I have worked with Yorkdale Style and their style concierge. And so I've done like a photo shoot with them and yeah. So that that is the business model. It's uh, pay per post. Basically, yes. Or you can do like native native advertising within your blog posts. So you can just write about the clothing and and kind of incorporate that in. And it's not as blatantly obvious as like holding a product. It doesn't have to be that obvious. And that's kind of what I stand by and what I love about this is that I'll wear you know a certain brand, but you won't know it's a sp- like an outright sponsorship. And I will do like hashtag ad hashtag partner. Um, but it's not so in your face, which is what I love. It's more it, organic. Wow, Kat, that's incredible. You know, things have really changed, eh, Jack, from you know, starting your automotive business in Papa's garage to sure. having an Insta chat boyfriend thing. <laughs> we're we're going to learn more about this. we got Kat Williams in the studio. Uh, you know, if you're under 30 and if you want to get a digital career, uh, Kat knows how to help you out, uh, so stay tuned. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That works, eh? 1985, the band was Animotion and the song Obsession. Fashion television is where we know that one from. Thanks to our producer, Rob, for picking up that track. And very, very apropos for our guest, who is a fashion blogger, fashionista with an Instachat boyfriend, I think. Uh, Kat Williams is in the studio. Uh, A young lady who is building a very, very interesting career. She's got a full-time job with Global working on uh, ET, uh, being the digital production, web uh, production. Is that that a fun part of your job? I guess you have to say yes, you're on the Global Network. Of course, of course. (laughs) And and you're not working on company hours right now. This is your free time. This is my free time. Saturday morning here on uh, Hi-Fi Radio. Yes. Um, we should maybe get her to do some of our digital work for us. And, you know, you're, you're, you're young enough to come. Probably get her on the cheap er because uh, she only has 10,000 uh, bloggers. We could certainly use a few more followers, I think, Well, for sure. Ah, certainly could. We need help. We need help, Kat. And that's why we got you in the studio. So uh, let's carry on here. Uh, where do you see this unfolding? Uh, you know, because, again, it, it's interesting. We, we've had an entertainment lawyer, Sarah Scott, on the show with us a number of times. And for bands to break through, and I, I, I used to work in broadcast, and I like the music industry. I mean, it's very, very dear to my heart. Um, and so for a band to break through today, they have to, before they get in front of a label, and same with an artist, before they get in front of a studio, they have to do a lot of groundwork themselves. They have to do exactly what you are doing to build themselves up to get the door to open for that first interview. It, 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 long gone are the days where you where you play a set, uh, a person from A&R comes out and watches you perform. Uh, and we're going to have to give me a hockey analogy later, Jack, on that one. They're coming I say, they, have to, they have to prove themselves first and basically de-risk their product, which is themselves. De-risk their product is correct. It's a great mm-hmm. phrase. So uh, help the audience uh, do that. If you're just stepping out of school and you want to start uh, and, and create a digital footprint, give us some advice. For me, I didn't want to wait for something to fall in my lap. And especially getting into the entertainment industry, a lot of people are like, you're not going to get a job. It's extremely difficult. You know, it's not realistic. And so the best thing I did for myself is while I was still in school, I got an internship and I worked with different TV stations and learned, you know, what kind of things I liked. I liked entertainment, not so much lifestyle. And so I kind of went towards that. So when I graduated, 
I actually, actually before I graduated, I actually started my own digital entertainment website with a friend of mine, just another student school. And it actually got us out to like cover fashion week and interview celebrities. And it actually got my name out there and made those connections. And so I gave myself those opportunities that no one else was giving me. And that led me to actually working as a digital producer at ET Canada. They kind of took a chance on me and I started as a freelance writer and kind of just like worked my way up there. And then now I'm kind of also doing my own thing as a fashion and lifestyle blogger too. So I think my biggest thing is just the hardest part is getting started. Just take that first step. Don't wait for someone to come to you because it, it's hard to get a job, especially in TV now mm-hmm. and in fashion and entertainment. So I think just start with yourself and yep. just try. And- I would say we hear that time and time again, going out and creating content, going out and doing something, getting the experience that you need. Like we said, when you do that, it de-risks yourself. And, and then the major labels or major entertainment channels, like you said, are going to take a shot at you. Exactly. And for me, by the time I applied at ET Canada, I had all this published content online. Ah, I had my, exactly, bingo, yeah. I had something to show for it. Yeah. And I had my Instagram and I had, I used my Instagram, it's almost like an online resume to show, look, I can, you know, show off these clothes and I can do these travel photos. And I have my personal blog too, where, look, I can write stuff. And so it's, it's kind of proving to people, you want to, you need to be able to show them something mm-hmm. for them to take a chance on you. Isn't that fascinating? Um, you study at Western, which is interesting because Jack, you're a Western boy as well. But uh, you you took media information and techno culture. I, yes. I, I know techno music. <laughs> so what is techno? <laughs> what's techno culture? I'm honestly still trying to figure it okay. out. Okay, <laughs> okay. So that, that came out of the Western's marketing department. Uh, yeah, well, they should stick to finance, Jack. I say, uh, how, how well did that course prepare you for what you're actually doing now? So that course is all theoretical. It, it, it doesn't give a lot of practical skills. And so I learned, you know, the inner workings of the industry. I learned the proper terms. I think that helped me a lot with that kind of stuff. For me, it didn't give me those practical skills. And so I had to go out there and, and learn that myself and get that experience myself. But I think at the end of the day, it helped with my writing exponentially. And I feel so much more prepared that I actually had that. So, so it, it, gave, it gave you the foundation to be able to create the experiences that you have right now and, and share with your viewers, I guess. Yes. Now, uh, back in the day when I was a little boy, we had CB radios and I couldn't afford one because I also didn't have a car. So I bought a CB uh, walkie talkie. And if you owned one of those and you had a channel, you'd have to have what was called a handle. Uh, I know you don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. I forgive you for that. But you're on Instagram. So let's tell you, honestly, what is your handle? What do we call those things? My handle. It is a handle. Thank you. From from my CB radio days. Good. (laughs) So what's what's your Instagram handle? I say that because I saw your site. It's beautiful photography. Your Instachat boyfriend there does a very, very good job (laughs) shooting you. and, and, And you're very beautiful model uh, you. and, and, and you, you 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 show the garments very very well so I think it's good for the uh, manufacturer of, of the brands that you're carrying I think it's great for you uh, and your Insta chat boyfriend's having a lot of fun so yeah so what, what is your handle <laughs> thank you my uh, Instagram handle is the cat Williams the uh, T-H-E-C-A-T Williams the cat Williams, Williams. not the comedian very good the cat Williams uh that's, that's my Instagram that, handle. That's your Instagram, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to see uh, High Fire Radio, how many more uh, Instagram followers we can pull your way. My sense, probably about another 10,000 coming <laughs> at you, baby. Uh, you did a great job, Kat. I want to thank you very much for joining us. You taught us a lot, and hopefully you can give Samantha some ideas so we can get some more uh, Insta, Insta chat uh, followers and stuff like we'll that. We'll take too. all we can get. <laughs> we'll take, yeah, you can tell we need it. Uh, real pleasure, Kat. All right, folks, we're going to move off. Uh, entertainment and over into education the field of behavioral finance it's fascinating stuff may you control your emotions you will make more money making money is the best so how do you make more money 
Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Good morning. Well, we're going to wake you up for school. Hi-Fi Radio, early in the morning. It is Saturday, so you don't have to really go to school, but we're going to go to school with you here. Amos Nadler's on the line. He is a professor, Ivy Business School, Western. Amos, it is a real pleasure to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are a professor in behavioral finance. This is very, very uh, unique science. It's a new science. Uh, it's in the textbooks. Uh, usually it, it's allocated uh, one chapter per <laughs> per 12 in the, in the various finance courses that Jack and I have taken. It came up in our portfolio management techniques course. It came up in the Canadian securities course. Uh, so, and it comes up in financial planning as well. So there, there is writing on it, uh, and you can sort of get deeper into the studies, which is exactly what you have done. So why don't you Share with, share with the audience, first and foremost, who the, their biggest enemy is when it comes to managing their money, i.e. themselves and their emotions. Um, and and Trini, we really, what, what is, tell, tell us more about the, the behavioral finance. What is it? Well, I have to agree with you that it does get sort of the short end of the stick in terms of uh, textbooks and things. But as you're saying, that's starting to change, that uh, even the CFA is incorporating and you're seeing it in, in traditional textbooks. Well, the reason why is traditional finance is based on this idea that we're all rational and that people, you know, they, we maximize decisions based on constraints and we're very logical and these sorts of things. And as you're saying that in reality, when people actually all- allocate assets, they're, done, they're doing it in an emotional way. They're doing it in a non-systematic or uh, non-algorithmic way. So, yeah, uh, the new wave of, of finance, what we can consider behavioral finance, is saying, let's forget theory for a minute here and let's see the data. What do people actually do? What are we actually vulnerable to in our decision-making processes? So what have you learned? Gosh, well, we've learned that uh, we are not utility maximizers to use a fancy, you know, yeah, yeah, what, does that, sorry, what does that mean? Is there, do, do what's in your best interest, Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, that's basically you know, it. Do what's in, yeah, in your own individual best interest. But, you know, yeah. economics is built, or at least, you know, sort of postmodern economics says that we're all self-interested. We don't care about it. But, you know, that's not true. We do care about other people. Uh, even Adam Smith, considered the founder of modern economics, he said that we do things out of enlightened self-interest, that we do care about other people. So, so some of the theories that the guide kind of economics going from the 50s forward don't really reflect reality. And so, so uh, the economy is actually built on people uh, that, that care about themselves but also care about other people because otherwise the whole thing would – would uh, you know actually kind of collapse? So, so Amos, again, a, a quote that Jack and I were throwing around the office this morning, just preparing for dealing with the professor, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, is, is Sir Isaac Newton, uh, who, mm-hmm. who the inventor of calculus, who said, "I can I can calculate the movement of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of men." Mm-hmm. That's a good one. And I was oh, going to yeah, say. Well, he, he's actually a genius that would, that fell susceptible, I guess, to some of these behavioral finance traits that we're talking about. It was, I, right. so it was in the Sosi bubble that he participated in, made money, got out, saw his friends get rich, got back in, and then was there for the crash. And got annihilated. Absolutely. Sir Isaac Newton. A genius. Yeah, uh, it's, it's incredible. So if it, if it can happen to him, it could happen to, well, anyone, right? We all have biases. We just have to be aware of them. So Amos, that's where we have you on the line. So so how can we help ourselves uh, from ourselves? Is, is robo-advisor the way to go, maybe? 
Well, so, so let's, let's start with first Isaac Newton. So, yes, genius in his own right, but when you get into something like financial markets, it gets way more complicated. And, and Isaac <laughs> Newton showed to be... <laughs> more complicated than calculus? Than, 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 than the heavenly bodies? Come on, guys. You, can, I could, you could predict the sun in like 150 years or the, the location of the moon in 150 years to the day. Well, we're bending light here, buddy. Now we're bending light like this. Okay. This is, I'm just saying that science that heavenly bodies can be calculated with exact precision. But uh, Wow. I, I, I know market, where you're going. That's actually interesting. I know where you're going with this. Think Good. about this. Wow. Think about this, guys. Because how do you think the lunar calendar, like, for example, think of like, like the yeah, Jewish no, you, calendar, right. they can predict, you can predict it far, far out. So leap year, well, we can get leap years. That's not bad. Gee, if, I, if I can predict the stock market with leap year accuracy, that'd, that'd oh. be pretty, I'd make some dough. You might make a bit just, of money then, yeah. Just retire now. Just retire now. If you, could, if you could do that, if you could predict it tomorrow with the same level of accuracy. So Newton's made, made a point that, that the heavenly bodies are calculable, but the madness of men is not. But what I would disagree with is saying that it's not totally unforeseeable. So if you look at irrationality, it's actually like using an Ariely phrase, people can be predictably irrational. So we're looking right now with what's going on with, uh, you could say, Bitcoin, we could look historically, say, the tech bubble of the you know, late, late 90s, early 2000s, you could look at Beanie Babies, you could look at um, what else? Uh, the Mar- marijuana stocks? Well, you know, that's, that's also an ongoing thing that, that's going on. But what, what I'm saying about it being predictable is what typically happens before a bubble is that there's a, like a pro-cyclical expansion of credit, which just means that there's low interest rates, there's money to go around, and oh, yeah. people are looking for ways to make a return on that money. So bubbles are somewhat predictable in that regard, that if there's not a lot of liquidity sitting around, there's not a lot of money to put into speculative things. And I would say, if we're going to talk about, like you said, Bitcoin, well, when, okay, when you say overvalued, what does overvalued mean? First of all, what do you, what do you mean by overvalued? Yeah, uh, here's what we're going to do, Amos. But before we answer your, your trick question here, and I'm not sure if there's multiple choice or true we, or false. We need a commercial break I, I to think about it. He gave us a true or false there, but Jack and I have to go through some studying. But anyway, we're going to run a few commercials, not many. Uh, so I want you to stay, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we have a professor in behavioral finance, Amos Nadler. He's with Western. That's an expensive school, so you're going to get it for free right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. did we put that in the show an old german band 1983 they were except i know then when judas priest covered that track balls to the walls uh, it's all about testosterone um, amos nadler is a professor at the ivy business school at western uh we're gonna touch on bitcoin but he also worked on a testosterone study to find out its implications on the world of finance and investing. So uh, two-pointed two question here for you, Amos. Number one, Bitcoin. Uh, real bubble. Uh, what how, do you how do you value it? Yeah, how do you value it? So, yeah, Bitcoin. How, how do you, well, how do you value you know, any financial asset? And, and if you apply the same methodologies you'd apply to Bitcoin, they'd apply to an equity. So you guys talk a lot about stocks, whether it's equities, uh, you also talk about fixed income. You have a very clear way of valuing these things. Mm-hmm. So we use these methods like a discounted cash flow method. Mm-hmm. You could do that. You could do comparables. 
you could do relative valuation, multiples, all these different methods, but they all assume there's some underlying value to the asset. So yeah. either a dividend, you could do a dividend discount model, whatever. Uh, you could value a house. You could value a company uh, in of itself for enterprise value. So these things produce cash, and that's an investment. Now, the difference between investment and speculation is that speculation doesn't have, doesn't generate an underlying a cash stream of any sort, which is what Bitcoin is, right? So what's going on is people are counting on the continued appreciation of this thing that people are saying, well, it may, it may, it may be a store of value uh, that's reliable versus, say, a dollar or something like that. Uh, it may, um, you know, may serve some sort of transactional purposes, but it doesn't have a fundamental value. And so if you look at, you know, old, you know, blow the, you know, the dust off your textbook and open up, how would you value this thing? You'd value it as a speculative asset. It doesn't have a fundamental value. So, so there's a lot of uncertainty that needs to be resolved about whether it will serve the purpose of being a store of value or a way of transacting. And right now, people are jumping in, like you talked about, Isaac Newton, you know, the madness of crowds. You know, there's this whole greater fool idea that, yeah, prices are going up and it's probably divorced from whatever fundamental value it is. But I may be a fool to buy it, but I could probably find a greater fool who'll buy it for, from me for more money. Mm -hmm. So there's possibly that's partly what's going on. You know, it's amazing uh, what we learned in grade Bitcoin. five when we played musical chairs, eh? Oh, you know, truly, like we really <laughs> learned the exactly. lessons back then. Uh, well, as I say, one of the problems when you have no fundamental way to value this asset is that the sky's the limit. Your imagination, uh, it can run as far as you think. And right? most can, importantly, it, in the first round up, there basically there's no losers. Everyone is a winner. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, mm -hmm. when a stock blows up and rolls over, you know, I, I, Cisco, for example, we own Cisco, Jack, but there's so much overhead mm -hmm. resistance because Cisco was a lot higher back in 2000. But, but I would that, say when they pricked that bubble, look out below, though. Oh, goodness gracious, it, it, it can be awful. Uh, Amos, I want to switch gears here because uh, sure. you did a study on uh, testosterone and its effects on investing in the market. And that's why we gave you that uh, balls to the walls intro, my good friend. <laughs> so, so, so share with us the, the findings of your study. Uh, and, and are men uh, inferior investors to women as the mutual fund companies have told us they were as women are more patient and think longer term? True or false? Uh, so uh, the first part, I'll tell you about the study, then we'll talk about the gender differences literature, which I got to say, guys, doesn't make us look great. So let me just jump right into uh, the testosterone study. So, you know, testosterone has a reputation for the, the manly, you know, bro-y, aggressive behavior, but there had never been a study that tested it in a causal way. And I mean causal, like a randomized controlled study that has a placebo and a drug like they do when they're doing drug studies for drug approval or anything else that's you know, scientifically sound. Nobody had done that before. So we said, we are going to figure this out. So we got a team, we had even a psychiatrist on board. So we get ethics approval to do this. And we ran sessions of an experimental market where it's all guys and uh, everybody in the session either gets testosterone or placebo and we let them trade for real money, whatever they make, they take home. This isn't like fake money. This is real cash, real dollars. And so everybody got a gel that was either testosterone or placebo in the sessions. And then we just look at the differences between all the sessions that were, you know, guys were at their baseline testosterone or guys were elevated testosterone. So what we found is if we give guys testosterone, they will start bidding up prices insanely high. And then those prices will run up and create a big bubble. And then as bids thin, it will crash, which looks exactly like what, what happens in financial markets. Now, what's crazy about this study is that you know, we're talking about Bitcoin not knowing the fundamental value. In the design of this experiment, which, by the way, won the Nobel Prize, uh, Vernon Smith won the Nobel Prize in economics for this, along the same year as uh, Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky, which are, are huge names, obviously, in behavioral economics. Uh, that we use the same paradigm, but we just added testosterone. 
And so it's amazing to find that testosterone changed people's hmm. willingness to pay for this asset and created these big bubbles. Now, when we compared the markets that had the placebo sessions, which are guys just at their normal levels, they got a gel that had nothing in it, they're trading, they're buying, they're bidding below fundamental value and trying to sell it above. So just trying to make a margin, trying to make a spread. The testosterone sessions are trading like completely divorced from fundamental value, which re resembles more what we see in, in, in the real world during periods of manias. and. and so so do us a favor then, Amos. Why don't you do that mm -hmm. one with some estrogen? Oh, well, uh, we, we could do that with estrogen. Uh, there, ha there has been research actually done on this. Uh, recently, a paper came out uh, showing that, that uh, well, Specifically, it was, it was progesterone and estrogen that did not have strong effects on financial risk preferences in women. It was, it was not this exact same experiment. Um, but I can tell you that a, a natural experiment occur, occurring in the world are uh, looking at actual data of women that have way more estrogen and way less testosterone. By the way, men have estrogen and women have testosterone, just kind of um, opposite yeah, levels. Yeah, yin and yang, uh, out, sure. Yeah, yin and yang, exactly. Um, and what we see in terms of the data is that women generally are more risk-averse. Averse, pardon me. They also, when they are in the exact same experiment that we did, minus, minus the drug, we use the drug that actually you can get from your doctor, uh, they, ha they created what's called a negative bubble. So in an all-female market relative to an all-male market, they are trading below the fundamental value, which is very, very interesting. So experimentally, we see that. Also, you look at the trade... I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're trying to buy deep value? They're, so, again, they, they see the fundamental value, and they're buying and selling below the fundamental buying value. Buying and selling below, yeah. Yeah, so they're bidding. So nobody's bidding, hey, it's worth 100 I'll pay you 300 They're saying, well, I'll pay you less than 100 And so they're transacting below the fundamental value. Is, is, is that very, because of, like, a, a regret aversion that they have? So regret aversion is interesting. I think that's partly what's driving, I think, what's, what's going on in the market is people see something moving, and they would feel bad to miss out on it. So the kids call it FOMO, right? Um, fear of missing out, which I think is kind of right. a, a street lingo version of regret aversion. Um, so I don't know that necessarily in the experiments it's regret aversion. With the women, I think that as prices go up, I think that's where regret aversion kicks in. They say, I know it's only worth 100 fundamentally, but the prices are going so far high, I feel like I'm missing out on something and I would regret not making money on this opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think regret aversion plays into it. Isn't that well? Um, well, look, there's a lot of them and you know, there's overconfidence bias, there's loss oh, aversion yeah. bias, there's availability mm -hmm. bias. Uh, I'm cheating, I got, I got crib notes on my hand here, you don't know that, but that's why I did in school. <laughs> that's why I passed my good friend. Look, uh, Amos, I'd love to carry on this conversation, but you know something, there's a show coming up after this and I don't mm -hmm. want to steal too much of their time. So I want to thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Wish you all a great weekend, and we will be back with you next week. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.